Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners. Yes, you. Fearsome and generous, humble and honest, in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. Every week, we meet at the table to experience, inspire, educate, encourage, and empower each other through our joys and our lessons learned. We share topics that tradition tells us there's some things we just don't talk about. But here, we live beyond both the judgment and the wreckage. We share aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. Every week, we start right where we are. Although many of your voices will speak light into darkness, there is no insignificant person around this table. However... You must come dressed in your inner awesome, believing that impossible is merely a word to describe the degree of difficulty. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, cable casts on Cox and Verizon Files, Channel 37, and Comcast, Channel 27 and Reston, and webcasts worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Should you miss us? No worries. You can hear our archive, Frankly Speaking, with Tyra G. Podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or in my media room at www.tyragarlington.com. And if you feel like connecting with me offline, you all know by now that's easy. Email me at Tyra at TyraGarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song. And for naming it, I'm listening. In August 2017, I wrote the following letter, and I quote, Calling phenomenal women here and now, and those who love them. Someone once said, What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? I would make my impossible dream possible. I would create a virtual global community of multicultural, intergenerational women, and those who love them who are fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. I would create a place to come together to create beautifully rendered intimate moments. Well, because of you, my impossible dream is possible. Thank you so much. I can already sense the laughter and the tears of revelation falling as we become better than before. And no matter how hard judgment knocks, it can't come in. Here we'll live beyond the wreckage. So many have said yes to their seat at the table, willing to be their signature selves. The sound of what they say will be irresistible. I can't wait. Stay tuned and encouraged. Living intentionally, Tyra G. End quote. And stay tuned, you did. 222 shows later, I find myself in the sitting room of my soul, feeling grateful 
enlightened, and hopeful. This is a place where I slow down, take a deep breath, and permit self-compassion to join me. I appreciate that my life has changed when I look in the rearview mirror of my eternity and I find such positive feelings gift-wrapping my memories. I realize now that I'm stronger than I feel, smarter than I think, a true designer's original, and it was more love than I could ever imagine. However, this has been a process, not an event. It's been a journey, not just a destination. Most importantly, I could not have arrived alone. In many ways, this first show of the new year is a thank you note to all of you who have shown up dressed in your authenticity, willing to share and to encourage, to be vulnerable, to laugh and to cry. And trust me with you. This week, I'm going to create a special centerpiece for the Frankly Speaking Conversational Table. Every week you hear me say, we're going to start right where we are. This week is nor no different. To create our common thought space for this week, I ask a question. What is so special about celebrating the beginning of a new year? In the U.S., the very thought of its arrival seems to ignite either extreme expressions of joy or sadness or against the odds both at the same time. They're loud noisy noises. Folks are exceeding all limitations of their liquid bliss and the persistent need to make promises that most of us do not keep. Why is that? <clears throat> Excuse me. I searched the literature and I found that in 2013, Psychology Today suggested this reasoning to my question. And I quote, At one second past midnight on January 1, the day will change from one day to the next, usually a transition of no special significance. But somehow, we've decided that this change, which will end one year and begin the next, is different. This unique tick of the top has always prompted us to both celebrate and to step outside the day-to-day -day activity. We're always busy to reflect, to look back, take stock, assess how we did, and resolve to do better. Say, perhaps for our birthday, no other moment in our year gets this sort of attention. Why does the start of the new year carry such special symbolism? And why is its celebration so common around the world? As it's been for at least as long as there have been calendars. Behavior this universal must surely be tied to something very basic in the human animal. Something profoundly meaningful and important given all the energy and resources we invest. Not just in the celebration, but also in our efforts to make good on a fresh set of resolutions, even though we mostly fail to keep them. It may be that the symbolism we attach to this moment is rooted in one of the most powerful motivations of all, our motivation to survive. 
The celebration part is obvious. As our birthdays do, New Year's Day provides us the chance to celebrate having made it through another 365 days. The unit of time by which we keep chronological score of our lives. Oh, phew. Another year over. And we're still here. Time to raise our glasses and toast our survival. The flip side of this is represented by the year in ordinary, excuse me, obituary summaries of those who didn't make it. Reassuring those of us who did. But what about those resolutions? Aren't they about survival too? Living healthier, better, longer. New Year's resolutions are example of a universal human desire to have some control over what lies ahead because the future is unsettingly unknowable. Not knowing what's to come means we don't know we need to know how to keep ourselves safe. To counter that worrisome powerlessness, we do things to take control. We resolve to diet and exercise to quit smoking and start saving. It doesn't even matter whether we hold our resolve and make good on these promises. Committing to them, at least for the moment, gives us a feeling of more control over the uncertainty to come. In 2007, a study by British psychologist Richard Weissman found that for many of us in the U.S., sang old Ang Syne. But he says YouTube song is more true. Nothing changes on New Year's Day. Of 3,000 people followed for a year, 88% failed to achieve the goals of their resolutions. Another 52% had been confident they would when they made them. Interestingly, New Year's resolutions are commonly include things like treating people better, making new friends, and paying off debts. <clears throat> Excuse me, having a hard time today. Paying off debts. It's been so throughout history. The Babylonians would return borrowed objects. Jews seek and offer forgiveness. The Scots go First footing, visiting neighbors to wish them well. How does all this social resolving connect to survival? Simple, we're social animals. We have evolved to depend on others, literally for our health and safety. Treating people well is a good way to be treated well. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It turns out it's a great survival strategy. And many people resolve to pray more. That makes sense in terms of survival too. Pray more and an omnipotent force is more likely to keep you safe. Jews pray at the start of their new year to be inscribed in the book of life for one more year. And though death is inescapable, throughout history humans have dealt with the fear of mortality by affiliating with religions that promise happy endings, pray more, and death is less scary. There are hundreds of good luck rituals woven among New Year's celebrations, also practiced in the name of exercising a little control over fate. The Dutch, 
for whom the circle is a symbol of success, eat donuts. Greeks bake special basil pita cake with a coin inside, bestowing good luck in the coming year on whoever finds it in his or her slice. Fireworks on the New Year's Eve in New York in China millennial ago as a way chasing off evil spirits. All of that started years ago. You know, I've been wondering about that. Japanese hold a year, which they call forget-me-not party celebrations, to bid farewell to the problems and concerns of the past year and prepare for a better new one. Disagreements and misunderstandings between people are supposed to be resolved and grudges set aside. In a New Year's ritual for many cultures, houses are scrubbed to sweep out the bad and make room for better ones. It's fascinating, really, to see how common so much of this is. Fireworks, good luck rituals, resolutions to give us pretense of control over the future. Everywhere, New Year's is a moment to consider our weaknesses and how we might reduce the vulnerabilities they pose. And to do something about the scary powerlessness that comes from thinking about the unsettling unknown of what lies ahead. As common as these shared behaviors are across both history and culture, it's fascinating to realize that the special ways that people note this unique passage of one day into the next are probably all manifestations of the human animal's fundamental imperative for survival. So how do you reassure yourself against the scariest thing the future holds, the only sure thing that lies ahead? the inescapable reality that you will someday die. Pass the donuts, peel the grapes, light the fireworks, raise a glass to toast, to survival, end quote. Survival, according to psychology today, we do all this hoopla around the world, all around New Year's Eve to celebrate the fact, celebrate the fact that we have survived one more year. I'm not mad at them. Recently, the world has been forced to focus on survival. An invisible enemy with no respect of persons threatened our most vital social systems to include healthcare, education, transportation, distribution. And our homes had to become, in addition to homes, small businesses, schools, barbershops, beauty salons, playgrounds and daycare. So yes, survival has forced its way into our hearts, our minds, and our spirits. As adults, we have lived long enough to practice some basic coping behaviors to manage unforeseen and uninvited change. But the mother, the teacher, the principal, and the psychologist in me wonders, what about the children? Those for whom we're preparing a legacy. How are they doing today in this world of uncertainty and unrest? How are they surviving? The Frankly Speaking radio show is blessed to include multi-generational and multicultural voices in our theme conversations. And some of the most insightful messages have resonated from voices from the future. In other words, the next generation. 
our younger, excuse me, our youngest guest has been five, fifth grade, and our eldest guest has been, <clears throat> I am so sorry, our eldest guest has been 87 years old. In fact, she has appearance in the Book of Records to be the oldest female bodybuilder. So I feel pretty good that we've been inclusive in the voices that we've listened to. Well, I want to continue that tradition. I have a sample of the authenticity of the teen generation. But what I want you to do is listen behind the words with your heart for the messages that confirm that survival is a big concern for our next generation. It comes dressed in all kinds of outfits. A note before we get started. We talk briefly about depression and suicide in this episode. If you or someone you know is experiencing mental health issues, we have a list of resources available to help. It's at our website, michiganradio.org kids. Hi, I'm Maisie Perry, and this is Kids These Days, a podcast hosted by teens about teens. Part of being a teen is realizing that things are not as simple as they seem, that there's a darker side to the world that maybe we're just seeing for the first time. It's also a time when some of us, hopefully, figure out ways to deal with that. Here's freshman Scarlett London. When school started this fall, I was just a scared little freshman. My friends from eighth grade had all split up and gone to different schools. My grades suddenly mattered. All of my routines, everything I had known, completely changed really fast. As our schedules quickly fill up and more stress is put on us, there's something nice and easy about a good first kiss story. At least, that's what I thought when I set out to tell this story, that it would be nice and easy, maybe funny too. And it is all of those things. But there's some darkness in here too, which I didn't expect. But part of growing up is understanding how complicated life can be. Maybe your school podcast project gets hijacked by a global pandemic. Maybe a first kiss story is about more than a kiss. Have you had your first kiss yet? No. No. Yes. Yes, I have. I think a long time ago, yeah. I was 14 I was the old. summer after my freshman year. I think I was 13. Do you want to tell us the story? Um. um, um <laughs> no. I'm good. Necessarily. Oh my god, I'm blushing. Sure, so we were watching Queer Eye, <laughs> and we were just on the carpet, and then I was like, I'm just going to go for it. Many had positive memories of their first kiss. It was in Nashville, Tennessee, no, Knoxville, Tennessee. I mean, apparently he liked me too, and um, we kissed, and it was real nice. For some, it was not as fabulous as they hoped. I did not enjoy my first kiss. We were at West Park, lying on the grass, just like listening to Taylor Swift. He asked if he could kiss me, and I was very like, contemplative so I like thought about it for like a good five minutes and then I said yes but it was just so like wet I don't know definitely got a lot better as it went on but like kind of like slobbery and just like mm. do you want to tell me about your first kiss 
It was with this boy who I had had a crush on for a while. We like spent a lot of time together in the summer because we both swam on the same swim team. One day after swim practice, it was raining and we went over to this little playground and I just remember sitting there and I was like, is it gonna happen? Like, I really want it to happen, but I don't know how that would ever happen. And I just remember like, I like turned and looked and he was like right there. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And I like leaned in and my eyes were just wide open. And I like pulled back and he looks at me and goes, why were your eyes open? Was that your first kiss? And I was like, hmm, uh, yeah. And he was like, oh, sorry. Like, I didn't mean to just take it like that. And I was like, oh no, oh no. Do you still see this boy? I don't. Um, yeah, he unfortunately is no longer with us. He, yeah, he was struggling with a lot of mental health issues and depression and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Her answer stopped me in my tracks. One of her closest friends had taken his own life. What had started as a lighthearted, playful conversation turned into something much darker. I mean, I was grieving for a long, long time certain songs would remind me of him and like he had made me several playlists that I had on my Spotify and just all that kind of stuff. It made me a lot more aware of others and like what people are going through because that realization of like all right guys like people are really having a hard time here and it's not something that we can just kind of push to the side anymore because like it's starting to take a toll. I know I personally have struggled with depression throughout high school and I know it's like cliche or whatever but school is just it's such a stressor maybe not necessarily the root cause of a depression but anxiety for sure I feel like we have this expectation that you got to have all your stuff together you got to have your grades together you got to know what you're doing after school you got to be ready for your standardized tests like all of that and you have to have extracurriculars because if you don't then you're lazy or you don't care I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about how high school takes a toll. When you go into high school, teachers always tell you, if you want to get into college, you need to get re like really, really good grades and and really apply yourself. And you know, I'm here. Like, obviously, it can be hard. I mean, I'm only in my freshman year, but I'm already starting to see that. You know. Here's my overall advice. If you fail one test, you are not a failure. That's, that's my biggest takeaway of high school. If you fail a test, if you fail an assignment, if you fail a project, you are not a failure. And I feel like that is, it's so instilled that, oh, you failed that, like, you aren't good enough. No, that's not true. Maybe you didn't understand the material. Maybe you didn't put enough time into it, but like, you as a person are not a failure. Pretty much, I would just say, don't sweat the small stuff. When I began reporting on this story, I had no idea it would go in this direction. Of course, high school's more than just first kisses and first exams. But for a lot of us, a first kiss marks a transition, from being a kid to being a young adult. 
a moment we can hold on to as our lives continue to get more complicated. Coming up after the break, there's a lot of good about social media, but there's also some stuff out there that can make us feel pretty bad about ourselves. Anytime I post a picture on like Instagram, I'm constantly like checking how many likes I'm getting, like how many comments I'm getting, like am I getting enough like likes and comments compared to my friends? Self-image and the feed, coming up next. Welcome back. I'm Maisie Perry, and this is Kids These Days, a show about teens, what we're thinking about, laughing about, and stressing about. And part of being a teen in 2020 is being super busy. Here's high school junior Lacey Cooper. From the moment you wake up, it's go, go, go. You pick out your clothes, grab breakfast if there's time, then it's off to school. Then after school, there's rehearsals, practices, working, working out, tutoring, hanging out, homework, procrastinating, texting, snapping, scrolling. But finally, it's time for dinner. Wait, Lacey led the two of spades, yeah, so right? she's gonna get it unless mom Maybe you play a game of hearts with your family before bed. But why are we going this way? All right, how are you going to bed, buddy? Come on, bedtime. Once we all go to our rooms, the house is quiet, lights are off, doors are closed. And suddenly, we're left alone with our thoughts. What college am I going to go to? How am I going to pay for college? When were they hanging out with so many followers compared to me? I wish my life looked like that. I wonder what happened at that party I missed. Are they mad at me? One thing that's been a constant in our lives is social media. We can't talk about what it's like to be a teen today without talking about social media and how it can mess with our self-image. Like this teen, who won't post a picture of herself unless she's convinced it's perfect. Like at least like five of my friends to like approve it before I post it. I'll like send the photo I'm going to post to all my friends and like every group chat to like make sure it's okay before I post it. Two community high students aren't having it. Ruby Taylor's a senior, and Lily Sickman Garner's a junior, and they wanted to know. How do we consume more of the content that makes us feel good? And why do we keep following the accounts that make us feel bad? I think it's completely an addiction. (laughs) This is my friend Angelina. We both just graduated high school. She's big into fashion and follows a lot of influencers online. I definitely find myself like comparing myself to everyone else I see on social media and anytime I post a picture on like Instagram I'm constantly like checking how many likes I'm getting like how many comments I'm getting like am I getting enough like likes and comments compared to my friends but it's not just about the likes and the comments definitely on like a deeper level like just affects the way I see myself. It's like one thing to be in person, like walking down the halls and like just be like looking at like all of the other girls and like what they're wearing and like what their body looks like, but like really like seeing it and being able to just like stare for hours on social media is just completely different. The tricky part about adolescence is the parts of your brain that are still developing are the parts that are really kind of seeking out some of these social connections 
and can feel really hurt by social rejection. And you're also really, really thinking about how you fit in in comparison to others. That's Christia Brown, a professor of psychology at the University of Kentucky. She's written about how teenagers interact with social media. Brown says if kids take a lot of selfies and post them to get a bunch of likes. Then they have lower body image over time, so they feel worse about their body. They feel more shame about their body. So the more you think about your body, unfortunately, you don't think a lot about it and think, oh, wow, I look fabulous. Usually when you think a lot about your body, you actually feel worse about it. One way to get out of that bad feedback loop is to stop checking your phone so much. That's what Angelina did, and it's been helping. Yeah, recently I stopped caring as much about social media just because I feel like I've like gained a lot more confidence in myself, and I've stopped needing as much like desire to constantly be getting like attention and like I don't need other people to be telling me like I'm great if like I'm starting to believe it more myself. We know that social media isn't all bad because if it was all bad we would just ditch it, right? We use it to connect with our friends, learn about the world, share ridiculous videos that make us laugh. Christia Brown, the expert we talked to earlier, she says social media is a great way to connect with people, especially if you're seeking body representation. Think about it. If you have a body type that isn't really represented in the mainstream media, where are you going to turn? Social media. Ding, ding, ding. Exactly. And that brings us to Ruby, a different Ruby. Ruby is a high school senior who's a member of a body-positive club at the NYC Lab School in New York City, and she's on all the typical platforms. Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Facebook, but that's not fun. And Ruby has discovered the body-positive community on social media. There are a lot of teen influencers and adult influencers who will go on these platforms and say, like, no, we're not going to shame. It has roles. It has a nice little muffin top, and that's We're actually going to, like, lift ourselves up. I will not reserve my happiness for a later date or a later wait. So taking part in that is, I would say, like, a positive of social media. It wasn't always like that. Back when Ruby was a freshman in high school, she followed a lot of random accounts online. People would show up in her feed talking about how they're like one pound overweight. And I'm like, I do not need this at 4 a.m. on a Saturday morning. So she started filtering out all that toxic content from her social media feed. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows now. The people she follows now, they're open and honest. They're mostly women, and they talk about their insecurities and promote open discussion and body positivity. Knowing that people my own age or people younger than me, people older than me have these same like doubts and have these same moments where they are sort of like not the happiest with their body or with their self is really what has allowed me to like have that overall outlook of like like loving my like body and myself. Yeah, seeing influencers on social media can definitely make me doubt myself and feel like I'm not good enough. So I try to follow a lot of body positive accounts, especially on Instagram. It's boosted my self-confidence. Being open to hearing other people talk about this and like witnessing that you're not alone in this, like slowly, but it will happen. You'll like 
stop feeling so down or like you'll discover that like hey I'm not in this alone there are other people I can turn to and after talking with Angelina Ruby and Christia Brown this is what we came up with social media is what you make of it if you follow people who post negative content or who make you feel inferior you're gonna have a bad experience it's impossible to create the quote perfect feed But if you take the time to curate your feed, filter out all the toxic stuff that you can, and follow people who focus on lifting themselves and others up, social media can be a really useful tool for your own personal growth. Next time on Kids These Days, we're talking about our phones. It just started to get bad when we just started having trust issues. Location sharing, response time. We're going to talk about all the unspoken rules of social media and how they can really mess things up if you don't follow them. Kids These Days is a collaboration between Community High School in Ann Arbor and Michigan Radio. The team includes senior producer... You heard it from them. What I find interesting, this is a national and international show. Those students who are not necessarily the student profile that you know or the teen that you know. But what became interesting as I listened to eight of their shows, they covered many themes that were universal. So what I want us to think about is what kind of conversation we could have with one of these students, not just dealing with social media or grades or college, but the other survival issues they're dealing with, like poverty, human trafficking, homelessness, domestic violence, drugs, loneliness, fear, gun violence, sexuality, shame, and climate change. When I went to school, we didn't have drills on how to survive an active shooter in school. Did you? They need us. Like I said, just assume it's your team, your team, or your grand team, or a neighbor, or a friend. We owe them. They need us. How can we help? I submit our job is to listen with our ears and our hearts, to encourage and empower and find ways to impress on our children that they're worthy. My work has taught me that accepting their worthiness and treating themselves like someone they love is not the norm for teens nowadays. When I speak to teens or millennials or It works for third graders as well. I like to tell them things that their mirror and maybe even their best friend will not tell them. I want them to understand that right at that moment, they are amazing, just as they are. I like to tell them, you were amazing before you got here. 
Yes, you are. 200 to 280 million sperm fought to get to you to decide who would be the amazing you that you have become. Did you know each day your heart is beating a hundred thousand times? That your eyes focus on 50 different objects every second? That you can hear a range of sound from 20 to 20,000 hertz? And yet, even though we come with that, it's in our DNA, we each have something that make, makes us a designer's original. We have something that no one has like we do. You know about fingerprints, but check this out. The iris in your eyes has 256 unique characteristics. Your fingerprint only has 40. Your ears, your aroma, how you smell. It's possible to identify people by looking at the fog of chemicals we left leave behind. The way we walk is unique. Our tongue, our skulls, the pores in our noses, and our fingernails. But you see, that's just biological amazing. The spiritual and emotional amazing comes packaged in everyone's potential and purpose. It's waiting. It's waiting right there to be born. It's the story you are writing right now. By then, I generally have their attention. And then I tell them, this is what they have to remember. That they are never, ever alone. That they are worthy. They deserve to be here, no matter who they see when they look in the mirror. That they are not their circumstances. That what happens to them is not who they are. If they make a mistake, it doesn't mean that they are a mistake. Excuse me. Nothing that happens in their life, nothing that happens in their life will be wasted. <clears throat> they have everything inside of them that they need to thrive. We want them to refuse to be refused. Here's the thing. These messages that I give them, they feel good for about a minute because it's different for most of them. But what we have to understand, it takes more than one time. We have to be lighthouses for the seasons of storms that young people have and go through in their lives. So that means we have to be in a relationship. We have to communicate. And I was just thinking, did I have that kind of encouragement when I was a teen? I did. Any of you listening, would you have wanted to be encouraged and empowered in this way? I hear some of you saying, Tyra, you know, yes, 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 I would like it. I would even like to be able to talk to my child like that. But I get caught up in parameters and rules and arguments and like I don't know nothing and they know everything. So I'm not comfortable talking to kids, my kids, like that. Okay, I hear you, but why not? Do you believe you have to be or have something in order to give something? Basically, that's true. 
But remember what I just said to the teens? Guess what? You're amazing too right now. And you have everything right now that you need to figure out how to connect with your teen or to encourage another. What we have to also realize as adults, yes, we're amazing and, and we're seasoned and refined and tested and ready to share. But just in case, just in case you're not in touch with that reality, I'm going to offer you some helpful hints to take along on your journey from survive to thrive, from thrive to encourage and empower others. When you listen to these five points offered by bloggers and coaches, Mark and Angel, I want you to think about how, how you could have incorporated these points in your evaluation of yourself. And I love the first one. Number one, you have progressed this past year. You're not the same person you were a year ago, a month ago, or a week ago. You're always growing. Experiences don't stop. That's life. And the very, excuse me, and the very experiences that seem so hard when you're going through them are often the ones you'll look back on with gratitude for how far you've come. Number two, you can't calm the storm. It's not worth trying. What you can do is calm yourself, and then the storm will pass. Truly, the most powerful changes that happen in your life when you decide to take control of what you do or have power over, instead of craving control over everything you don't? Number three, what you pay attention to grows. Stop managing your time. Start managing your focus. Practice focusing on what matters and letting go of what does not. Breathe deep in this moment. Reset and reflect. Remind yourself that the first step to inner peace is letting go of what you assume your journey is supposed to be like right now and sincerely appreciating for everything it is. Number five, you won't be able to be a priority to others. And that's why, now this is important, grab this. You have to be a priority to yourself. I have to encourage myself sometimes. Encourage yourself, learn to respect yourself. Take care of yourself and become a solid part of your own support system. Your needs matter. Start meeting them. Don't wait on others to choose you. Choose yourself today. Encourage yourself today into the next year. Bottom line, despite the real world challenges you face, the biggest and most complex obstacle you will ever have to personally overcome is your own mind. In other words, you aren't responsible for everything that happens in your life. But you are responsible for undoing the self-defeating thinking patterns that these undesirable experiences create. Yes, you can think better, which means you can tap into your inner strength and ultimately live better. And yes, of course, sometimes it's easier said than done. 
Does that make sense? Good. Now let's take a few minutes and add more fuel for your survive to thrive journey. I'm going to do an exercise. I'm going to let the music play for a couple of minutes while you go get yourself a mirror. Okay, ready? If you like this exercise, I'll post it on my website. So just let me know at Tyra at TyraGarlington.com. <clears throat> if I hear from you, I'll let you know when I post. Okay, here we go. Stand and gaze. Now you're looking in your mirror. Don't turn away. Look yourself in the eyes as you stand in front of the mirror. Yeah, that's you, the image of you. Say to yourself, me, in the mirror. How does it feel? Are you happy with what you see? And more important, are, we, are you happy with how you feel as you stand and gaze at you? <clears throat> there are people who cannot look at themselves in the mirror. For reasons known to them, they cannot linger and look. It doesn't feel right. They use the mirror as their preparation tool, the tool that prepares their image for the public. However, the real image is what they feel, despite what the image reflects. The feeling doesn't match. The image may be perfect or imperfect, depending upon the eyes that behold it. And yet, that is of no consequence because there's a feeling that lingers like a cloud that hovers over a sunny day. What are the feelings that make you uncomfortable when you look in the mirror? Can you identify them? Is there a mental image that is attached to the feeling? Is it shame? And if so, why not address it? Is it guilt? If it's guilt, then what choices are available to alleviate it? Are you angry at yourself or someone else? If it's anger, how long will you allow the feeling to tax your soul? Are you disappointed as the choices at the choices you've made? If that's the case, are you willing to make better choices starting now? Are you fearful? If so, can you differentiate whether it's perceived or real? Whatever the feeling may be, you must stand in front of the mirror and admit that feeling to yourself. Admitting is the crucial first step. You must be willing to do this or you will not make any progress. You're not being asked to solve the feeling. You're merely being asked to admit there is a feeling that weighs heavy upon your heart and soul. What is so ironic, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> what is so ironic is once you acknowledge the feeling, the power that you've given this feeling begins to lessen. Yes. The root of the feeling still needs pruning and a healthy healing must occur because you have summoned the courage to look in the mirror and give a voice to the feeling that's held you captive. The feeling 
wants to be acknowledged. It can be likened to a noisy wheel that will be squeaking until it is heard. Standing and looking in the mirror is challenging, especially if the feelings have been resting without peace for years. You've been accustomed to doing what is required for hygiene and general appearance and moving on, yet a few baby steps will make all the difference in the world. So listen up for five days. Stand with a timer in front of the mirror for 30 seconds. Focus on your eyes only. When the time is up, stop. Take 30 seconds to write three words on what you felt. After five days, you will have 15 words. Write out the definition of each word at your leisure. If you decide to speak your truth, you now have 15 words of feelings. Now that you have the words to describe the feelings that won't allow you to look in the mirror, you must admit it no longer seems so scary. Why doesn't it seem scary? Because you have stood in the mirror, acknowledged your feelings, and attached words. Now, what will you do with what you know? That is definitely not a requirement. But it is a process that may be seen as a conversation you have with yourself that helps take a step in a new direction. You know, this is the first radio show I've done with just me and music and thoughts. And I've had a ball, except for my voice leaving me. But you know my tradition. It's to leave a little soul food on the table for those moments when we're apart and you find yourself saying things like, is this all there is? Or I'm tired of being tired. Or maybe your teen or your significant other has found the last nerve that holds your sanity in check. Well, this week, our soul food has two flavors. The first is a song performed by Asa and Naomi Neary, brother and sister, both now in college and repeat visitors to Frankly Speaking. They invited their dad, Courtney, who, by the way, performs our theme song, I'm Listening, to join them on this song as well. Smile through your fear and sorrow. Smile and 
Feel better? Smile when your heart is aching. I feel better. In fact, I feel so good. I'm going to put a second flavor to my soul food for the table. This is a quote from Glennon Doyle Melton. And it's a note from love. Also known as God. And I quote, Stop holding your breath. Breathe. There's enough. I've created an abundance of acceptance, attention, recognition, joy, peace, money, energy, clothes, food. I will never leave you without enough. And there's nothing to be afraid of. No feeling, no circumstance, no person. These things come and they go, and you can live through them without running, hiding, numbing, or hurting another one of my children. And did you know this, my angel? There has never been anything wrong with you. Not one day in your life. You're exactly who you were meant to be right now, as you are. You're not to be ashamed. You punish yourself, but you've no reason to be punished. You can stop now. You're free. When you were born, I put a piece of me in you, like an indestructible, brilliant diamond. I placed a part of me inside of you. It is love. Love is perfect. 
and it is untouchable. No one can take it. It is the deepest, purest part of you. That part that will someday return to me. You are love. You cannot be tarnished by anything you've done or that has been done to you. Everyone carries this piece of me and I'm a part of you and you are a part of each other. You've been listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia. Cablecast on Cox and Verizon Files, Channel 37, Comcast, Channel 27. And one webcast on the worldwide internet at www.radiofairfax.org. Remember, your seat at the table is guaranteed. I look forward to next time. Until the remember, you are worthy of giving and receiving. Believe you are new every moment. Your time, your energy, your mind, the people who come into your life are all gifts, and they are an infinite. They belong to you. You're chosen. You're important. Treat yourself like someone you love. This is Tara G. Living intentionally and loving you. Feel like thriving? If not, start with surviving. I'm here and I'm listening.